0: Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. At a
1: time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Line takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Line wherever you get your podcasts.
2: From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Thursday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, three years ago, Mason Wright had an idea. Wait to hear how his hot dog business went from a red cart to opening a restaurant The
3: number one rule of business for me, it would be to start making your ingredients for success ahead of time, like start as soon as you can.
2: We'll meet the youngest restaurant owner in Georgia. But first, as of this broadcast, most of Georgia's 159 counties have uploaded the results of their recount of the presidential race to the state elections website. Now, Gabriel Sterling with the secretary of state's office says counties that did not finish the work by last night's deadline will likely do so today. This is necessary so the county boards of elections can recertify any changes.
4: They're all going to meet the deadlines of recertifying by Friday and then the state will meet its deadline of recertifying by Friday afternoon. Then the governor will do the ascertainment and send the paperwork back up to DC.
2: The recount was requested by the Trump campaign. In other news, another grim milestone for the United States as new coronavirus cases New hospitalizations and deaths all continue to increase nationwide. According to Johns Hopkins University, 3,157 new deaths were recorded yesterday. The previous peak was 2,607 back on April 15th. Also, more than 100,000 Americans spent last night in the hospital because of COVID-19. CDC Director Dr. Robert Redfield Jr. is warning the next few months could well, be the most difficult in the nation's public health history. Here's Dr. Redfield speaking on a media call Wednesday.
0: We are at a very critical time right now about being able to maintain the resilience of our health care system. In the spring, we were dealing with New York, Detroit, you know, uh, New Orleans, Los Angeles. We could shift healthcare capacity from one part of the country to the another. Um, We saw similar when we had the southern wave. We could shift healthcare capacity from the heartlands and from the northern plains. Right now, we unfortunately have a pandemic that's really throughout the nation. But the reality is December and January and February are going to be rough times. I actually believe they're going to be the most difficult time in the public health history of this nation, uh, largely because of the stress that's gonna put on our healthcare system. We're in that range potentially now, starting to see 1,500 to 2,000 to 2,500 deaths a day uh, from this virus. So um, yeah, the mortality uh, concerns are real. Um, And I do think, unfortunately, before we see February, uh, we could be close to 450,000 Americans have died from this virus. But, you know, that's not a fate of complete. If the American public really embraces social distancing, wearing masks, not letting your guard down in family gatherings, um, limiting crowds, maintaining ventilation, uh, doing events outdoors rather than indoors, uh, making sure you're vigilant in hand hygiene. And that coupled with some strategies that, we're pushing states to do to begin to diagnose through surveillance um, the asymptomatic infections will begin to help us.
2: Meanwhile, in Georgia, at the time of this broadcast, 428,980 COVID-19 cases have been confirmed in Georgia. 35,326 have been hospitalized, and of those, we, and of those, 6,569 are considered ICU admissions. And since the state began recording all of this information, 8,830 deaths have been confirmed. And this is always according to the Georgia Department of Public Health. And joining us now, as he often does, is WABE health reporter and host of the podcast, Did You Wash Your Hands, Sam Whitehead. Sam, thanks for taking the time. Good to talk to you again.
1: Hey, Rose. Good talking to you.
2: Wow, there's a lot to talk about. (laughs) i tell you what, Sam, where would you like to begin?
1: Oh, geez, Rose. Let's look at uh, the numbers. I think it's always good to start with the numbers, right? Absolutely. So we've we've seen them uh, slowly, kind of looking worse and worse here in Georgia, um, as they have across most of the country. Over the last few weeks, we've seen our newly confirmed COVID-19 cases rising here in the state. We've seen hospitalizations rise. This is a trend that's been continuing for a while now. Georgia is still not at levels that we saw over the summer when things really spiked here. And for context, Georgia's doing better than most other states in the country, but things are still getting worse here and they have been for weeks now and really don't show any signs of changing anytime soon.
2: And speaking of that, because we should note for folks, this current increase is not due to the Thanksgiving travel. We're going to see that maybe in the next couple of weeks, correct?
1: Yeah. The general consensus is seven to 10 days after infection is when people start to get sick and we start to see those infections shown in our numbers Um, i was on a call with some cdc officials yesterday where they said that more people traveled over the thanksgiving holiday than they had hoped um, and that all that travel they guess even if just a small percentage of everyone who did travel is infected could result in hundreds of thousands of new covid 19 cases so you know we saw after our summer holidays um, labor day the fourth of july spikes in cases related to holiday activity and it's likely that we'll see that after Thanksgiving, too, I'd probably sometime in the next week.
2: And Sam, as you know, Georgia is among the 48 states, according to the White House, that has this highest risk category for coronavirus spread. What else are we hearing from this task force report? Yeah, the last
1: few reports from the White House Coronavirus Task Force have been pretty bleak. So, Georgia, as you said, is 48. We are doing better than much of the rest of the country, but that's as the country as a whole is doing pretty poorly. Um, The latest report from the White House task force says, and this is a quote, COVID risk to all Americans is at an historic high. Mm -hmm. Um, So Georgia is seeing lower case numbers in many other parts of the country, even though we are seeing, according to the White House, a high plateau of community spread and elevated hospital admissions. Um, Another point from the task force, they say state mitigation efforts in many parts of the country remain inadequate. So, you know, things have been getting worse across the country, getting worse here in Georgia. And the assessment from the White House is that the risk is really higher than it's ever been.
2: Sam, has the CDC already recommended or given an advisory for, I say, another big holiday coming up, Christmas and New Year's Eve? Have they given any recommendations for travel for this month?
1: They have, Rose. They came out yesterday in a press conference and did that. You might remember that the CDC strongly advised against Thanksgiving travel only days before that holiday, right? Mm-hmm. Probably too late for a lot of people to change plans they had already made. So here we are a few weeks out from Christmas and New Year's. Um, Hanukkah not too far away. And the CDC has come out and said, look, traveling over the winter holidays is not the safest thing to do. Um, Travel not only exposes you potentially to coronavirus infection, but with rates of infection high all over the country, you could transmit it to somewhere else or someone else coming to see you could bring it here. Um, So they're advising against travel, but they are saying, you do travel, there are a few things you can do to try to keep yourself safe. One, you can get tested shortly before you go, and then maybe five days after you return. Um, also, when you return, try to eliminate non-essential activities. Um, that is a new recommendation out from the CDC about testing and travel. They also say things that you've heard the whole time, wearing a mask, staying distant from people washing your hands while you travel, can help reduce your risk.
2: Well, Sam, the recommendation changes. For quarantine after exposure, that changed.
1: This was another change from the CDC yesterday. Yeah, we've all heard from the early days of the pandemic. If you've been exposed, you need to quarantine for 14 days, right? 14 days has probably been drilled into people's heads just like six feet of distance has. Um, CDC officials came out yesterday and actually altered those quarantine guidelines to say you don't have to do a full 14 days. They say quarantine can end after 10 days. Without a negative COVID test, if you have been exposed, but you're not showing any symptoms. And that that quarantine can end after seven days if you do have a negative test and you're not showing symptoms. Um, There are a few reasons for this that CDC officials discussed on this press call yesterday. They say they hope this shorter quarantine period will actually put less of a financial burden on folks who might need to miss work if they are quarantining and generally make people more likely to follow quarantine guidance. Um, They also hope it reduces burden for public health workers say trying to contact trace as cases surge across the country Um, they also say there's some science behind it too Um, the risks that someone would leave the shorter quarantine period and still be infected and spread disease that is there but officials say it's small and hopefully outweighed by more people following these shorter quarantine guidelines
2: Well, let's try to end on a little bit of more positive news. Obviously, the vaccines that have been submitted to the FDA for emergency approval. Now, what happens from there in terms of distribution and who should be recommended to get the vaccine first? What do we know about what Georgia wants to do here?
1: Well, first things first, the FDA is going to be meeting two different times to discuss these two different vaccines. They're going to discuss the vaccine candidate from Pfizer on the 10th of December and the one from Moderna on the 17th. The secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, Alex Azar, says he expects approval potentially for emergency use from the FDA on either one of those vaccines could come soon after those meetings. So that means people could get vaccine rows before Christmas. Um, it's important to note there are going to be limited quantities available at first, and these are only going to be available to select groups. It's going to be well into next year before, you know, the general public is going to have broad access to this. Um, as to your question of who is first in line, uh, there's kind of a special subject. of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention that regularly meets, not only during a pandemic, to discuss vaccine recommendations. Mm -hmm. Um, They met this week and came to a decision that residents and employees of nursing homes um, and other long-term care facilities, and then healthcare workers who are especially at risk of being exposed to the virus, that these people are going to be the first in line for these vaccines. Mm -hmm. Now, these are recommendations. We know that recommendations are not binding. Um, The people who watch this kind of thing, though, are under the impression that states generally will follow what the CDC has said, but states do have flexibility here. States like Georgia can say, maybe we think this group or that group should also be close to the front of the line for getting the vaccine. We don't really have any indication that Georgia plans to, uh, you know, buck these uh, recommendations from the CDC. Conversations I've heard the governor have with healthcare officials, people who run long-term care facilities and hospitals seem to telegraph that these two groups, people in long-term care facilities and health care workers, are going to be close to the front of the line here in Georgia.
2: And I don't think anyone would argue with those two groups, especially the health care workers being at the top of the list. Sam, finally, as we wrap up here, we're also hearing, look, winter may be the, quote, most difficult time in the public health history of this nation. Any Any indication from Governor Kemp... That perhaps there will be additional restrictions implemented on a statewide level, maybe even a mask mandate, or is he still holding fast to not implementing a statewide mask mandate?
1: Well, that's a great question, Rose. Every time the governor and, say, public health officials like Dr. Kathleen Toomey, who runs our Department of Public Health, talk about the situation in Georgia, they put it in the context of where we were this summer. Uh, Cases were spiking, hospitals were very full here in the state. They say we're not to that point yet. And I have a hard time imagining until we reach that point where we were in the summer that they are going to put additional restrictions in place. Um, That argument that things aren't as bad as they used to be might not make so much sense in a few weeks, especially if things continue moving in the direction they look like they will here in Georgia. Um, We are on track if these trends continue to surpass our summer peak at some point. It's hard to know what the governor will do then. Um, But I will say that over the course of the pandemic, he has said again and again and again, he trusts Georgians to do the right thing. He's more in favor of saying this is a responsibility that everyone shares as opposed to taking a, you know, kind of top-down government action. But in unprecedented times, like we could be seeing and like Robert Redfield, the director of the CDC, has mm-hmm. kind of telegraphed, unprecedented things happened. So who knows if the governor will take stronger action.
2: WABE health reporter and host of the podcast, Did You Wash Your Hands, Sam Whitehead. Sam, as always, thank you so much for taking the time. I can't say it enough, buddy, but our listeners really appreciate You taking the time to inform them right here through Closer Look, because as a lot of people tell me, this is where they get their news from. So this is what we do. Thank you so much, Sam. Thank you, Rose. Now, there are other concerns as to how this third wave of COVID-19 new cases will impact not only the nation's economy as a whole, But right down to American households, will Congress be able to agree on a proposed $900 billion coronavirus stimulus plan before the end of the year? And will it include additional unemployment benefits for millions? Well, that was part of my conversation yesterday with Georgia's Labor Commissioner, Mark Butler. Let me ask you this, Commissioner, and I imagine someone listening may want to know the answer to this. If someone did stop going to work or, as you put it, abandon their job due to concerns through their lens, perhaps this employer was not practicing social distancing or implementing measures to protect its employees. So that employee said, you know what, I'm out. Could that work in their favor?
4: Uh, no, that's actually not uh, an allowable reason. Uh, really? The CARES Act did allow. No. Um, uh, which is one of the reasons why I have argued that, you know, when Congress came up with the idea of providing, a you know, financial assistance to people, choosing the method of unemployment insurance was not the proper method. Uh, You take a look at what some other countries have done. Uh, They provided uh, financial assistance through other means. Uh, But when you when you when you say, "Okay, we're just going to let people apply for unemployment, but we're still want you to apply the rules of unemployment to each one of these cases. Uh, In the case of, of covid, how that works is in order for you to get unemployment other than the normal reasons. Uh, you either have to be somebody that has a documented medical reason that causes you to be a high risk uh, or you're over the age of 60 or uh, you live with somebody uh, of those two previous reasons I just gave you or there is a lack of childcare. care. Uh, those are the only reasons that are allowable uh, under uh, uh, under the COVID emergency uh, situation. Do you we're think in right that's now. fair? Do you think that's uh, fair? You, well, it doesn't really matter kind of what I think. I have to apply what the law says. Well, sure, but I'm curious uh, in your back, opinion,
2: though. I mean, if, if someone well, works... I
4: mean, you, you also got to look at it in a different way, too, uh, because, um, you know, one person's opinion, what they think is safe, and somebody else's is going to be different. So you're, not, you're getting to a subjective reason. You know, remember... Uh, You know, you've got all these, you know, companies and people saying, you know, know, we want to shut down. We don't want to go into work. But, you know, uh, my folks have had to go into work. Uh, They've had to be able to to perform Uh, some things we can do from home, but a lot of things we can't. Uh, and so, you know, our folks have been going to work every single day, you know, and we've made, you know, uh, as best we can mm-hmm. accommodations, but even that has been somewhat difficult when you consider, um, <laughs> the fact that, you know, when you try to social distance here to the Department of Labor, but then you've also under pressure to add a whole lot more employees and you've only got so much space to have access to the tools that you need. Uh, and also when it comes to training, uh, it's been very difficult. So, mm-hmm. um, have you had employees it, you know, it,
2: to? It, have you had employees, Commissioner, that have either quit or due to concerns about COVID? You mentioned those career centers may not be open to the public, but folks were still coming in. Have you experienced that with your department? And-
4: yes. I mean, we're, we're no different than anybody else. I mean, we've actually, you know, we, we've had people that have either, you know, maybe taken early retirement. Uh, we have had some people quit. And a lot of the, actually, most of the quits have not been COVID related. They've been uh, pressure. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, related, uh, due to the fact that, that the strain, uh, we've had a lot of IT, you know, you know, uh, you know, we've had several people over there that have decided that, you know, that the strain and the pressure and the workload is too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but, you know, but for, but, for the, but that's, that's actually been a, a small percentage. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you take a look at all me overall, uh, most of my employees have, uh, have risen, uh, to the challenge um and obviously like i told you we also have had some people that have had to go home temporarily because of sickness mm-hmm. we've actually had a few individuals um you know uh, or several individuals that have had to be hospitalized and have had actually a long recuperation and some of those have not come back to work yet mm-hmm. um and so we ask that everybody keep those in your prayers too so i mean like i said you know people who won't throw some criticism at me that's fine but you know mm-hmm. these these employees they ought to be looked at quite frankly as heroes because um, it, you know, I, I could tell you a hundred different stories of, uh, of some of the sacrifices and things that people have done, uh, and the type of, uh, you know, the hours they've worked and things and mm-hmm. their own personal mm-hmm. tragedies they've had to work through during this time. Um, I mean, it's, I, I've just been blown away, um, yeah. by, by, by the employees that I have here. No,
2: you, you're absolutely right. There've been so many folks who have continued to work whether they've been healthcare workers or essential workers or first responders. So, well, I don't think anyone should dispute that. All the more reason why you, you know the importance of employers making sure that if they are going to be open and when, although you can't mandate that, if they are going to be open and require their employees to come in, that they should take those measures in, in place to ensure the safety of their employees. Um,
4: yeah, I don't think anybody would disagree with that. You've yeah. got to you've got to take care of your employees, no matter if it's COVID or anything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, I you know uh, being a you know I, I've uh, ran businesses of one type or another all my life, and the one thing is, I mean, your your company is your employees, mm-hmm. and if you don't take care of your employees, your employees are not going to take care of your company. Uh, and so, anybody that mistreats an employee is uh, uh, is not doing right by their yeah. even by what they're trying to do.
2: Let's try to end our conversation on a happy note here. Uh, Tell our listeners what areas or industries are hiring and looking for folks.
4: Gosh, right now, um, it seems like it's uh, just about, Across the board the only areas where we're not seeing like a like a a tremendous jump are going to be the ones that are still uh somewhat affected by by covid and you're talking about hospitality Mm -hmm. uh, food and drinking places but you know a lot of those are currently hiring right now uh you know we right now we're, we're seeing a record number of job listings on employee georgia Uh, As of the last time I checked, we have have over 160,000 active job listings, and those are not just, you know, one job listing, you know, for one person. A lot of those job listings are for multiple people for that just one job listing uh and you know it's you know obviously in a lot of uh, retail trade especially trade there's also a lot of you know you know there was a story the other day saying that most of all the hiring right now is temporary mm-hmm. uh jobs mm-hmm. and that's not what we're seeing by the job listings uh that we're having right now there's a lot of permanent uh job listings right now and one of the neat things that we're seeing which is really good uh for our workers here in georgia is uh, because of the fact that we're that we do have a shortage of available workers um it is pushing um, pay up. Uh, I've talked to a lot of employers uh, around the state uh, on a constant basis, and we're seeing a lot of them pushing their, especially the hourly uh, employers, Mm -hmm. are starting to push their hourly wages up. I talked to a guy the other day that I was trying to refer somebody to. Uh, It was a lady who's been working during the entire time of the pandemic, but she actually works for one of those employers who's not been doing a very good job as far as pay. Uh, and she's a real hard worker. And so I called a guy that I know that has a company close by and he normally pays about $15 an hour. But when I called him up, he informed me they had actually pushed their pay up to about 1650 to $17 an hour. And the reason was because of COVID COVID Mm -hmm. has actually had to make them be more competitive with their pay. Uh, which actually we've actually, we've actually experienced that also uh, here at the department. Now what's that website uh, again
2: for folks so they can.
4: Employ Georgia.
2: Okay. And finally, Commissioner, as you know, nearly every state is experiencing an increase in new COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations. But the concerns are this might lead to more unemployment benefit claims. But if we are experiencing yet another wave, what might this do to the Georgia Department of Labor? Would you all have the resources to handle potentially another increase in, in unemployment claims?
4: Well, obviously, since we've been through this once mm-hmm. uh you know that first wave was the first time that any state had experienced anything like that uh you know there's a lot of lessons learned when you go through something the very first time uh i think quite frankly we're uh we're better prepared to handle it in the future mm-hmm. uh mainly but a lot of it has to do with the fact that a lot of the new things that we've added a lot of new tools that we've added uh that we didn't have the first go around uh because it just didn't have time to implement uh, when you're talking about you know they basically gave us a couple of weeks to be prepared and there's no way you can get a lot of that stuff online in a couple of weeks. You know, most of the things that we've had to do in in normal times would have taken you, you know, six to 12 months to put together. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we were asked to do it in basically, you know, four weeks. Uh, and so we're obviously we have a lot more, Capacity now, uh, all the way around, and so there's, I think you know if we had to go through another one of those, like we had to experience back during uh, the March and April, uh, we're definitely in a better position now than we were then, just because you know uh, we're more experienced to know what to look for. I mean, we obviously we had no no way of knowing mm-hmm. what you were going to run into back then.
2: And the full segment with Labor Commissioner Mark Butler is online. Just visit wabe.org/closerlook. We're back in a moment.
0: Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at CF greateratlanta.org. Support for WABE comes from Capital Good Fund, introducing Georgia Bright Solar Lease Program, a new rooftop solar initiative designed to create pathways to equitable and inclusive solar, sustainability, and monthly savings for Georgians. Learn more at georgiabright.org.
2: Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. It's a familiar question for entrepreneurs. What is the number one rule of business? And depending on whom you ask, you'll get a variety of answers. Now, on this program, I've talked with many folks behind startups and small businesses throughout Georgia. We've profiled many of them for our Open for Business series. And now comes another installment with my next guest an entrepreneur who started way before even becoming a teenager. As a matter of fact, he is the youngest restaurant owner in Georgia, and despite the COVID-19 pandemic, he recently opened his first brick-and-mortar restaurant in Stonecrest, Georgia, that sells, and I'm quoting here, tasty hot dogs. I'm joined now by Mason Wright, the owner of Mason's Super Dogs, and his older sister and mentor, Mary Pat Hector. Mason, Mary Pat, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. you. Yes, thank you so much for having us. All right. Well, Mason, let me start with you. What do you feel is the number one rule of business?
3: The number one rule of business for me, it would be to start making your ingredients for success ahead of time, like start as soon as you can.
2: And when did you start?
3: I started when I was nine years old. And when I was helping out my neighborhood by walking dogs, washing cars, and mowing lawns.
2: And you took the profits from walking dogs, mowing lawns. You took the money from that to start Mason Super Dogs. Is that correct?
3: Yes, ma'am. And it was a very fun experience. I started with a little red cart. Then we worked our way up to a hot dog cart. Then we went to a New York style.
5: The little red cart was a cart that literally it was electric. We had to plug it in and you couldn't fit, but like eight hot dogs on it at one time. Um, and him and actually our, our employee of the month, um, our, his his best friend, Saheed had been working with us since they were both nine years old. Um, and they would go out to zoom car wash in DeKalb County um, and sell on that little electric cart. Mason saved up um and uh bought the new york style push gigantic metal cart Mm -hmm. um that he would literally have to like push up the streets of morehouse college in order to get it right in front of the bookstore um and after doing that for quite some time we were able to invest in a brick and mortar space uh because he really wanted a restaurant that was his goal originally uh, but we got there a lot sooner than we expected and so I'm I'm very happy for him.
2: So Mason, why hot dogs?
3: The reason why I chose hot dogs was because in New York City, there's dozens of hot dog carts, and people waited in line for a a very long time to get a hot dog. So I thought if I took this business concept back to Atlanta, because I've never seen any hot dog carts in Atlanta, I can make me some money.
2: Mason, I want to ask, because now you're at the ripe old age of what? 14. What have you learned about the business from age 9 to now 14? What's been that eye-opening experience for you?
3: The eye-opening experience for me was when I first opened my first day. The community came out and they supported me and it was it was a very fun and welcoming day for me because they all came out so many people told me that they've been watching and keeping up with the stories about me. They've been coming out and supporting every day, even on Thanksgiving. It's it's really been fun. It's been really, really been fun.
2: And Mary Pat, I want to bring you back into the conversation uh, because we understand that besides being the older sister, Mason considers you a mentor as well. But what do you make of his drive and ambition since the age of nine? Um, it's been quite
5: extensive, Um, (laughs) Especially for me. Um, But I've always been willing um, to support and help. Uh, Since the pandemic, I can honestly say that I never would have thought that I would be in the food industry or would be uh, serving hot dogs at all. Uh, it's actually something that I, I I can now officially say I have definitely worked in fast food before. Uh, but I can tell you, um, his drive is very, very inspiring. And uh, I believe that it also is, is a huge credit to just my mom because I feel like she sacrificed so much to ensure that his dreams came true and vice versa for all of our dreams to come true, honestly. Uh, and now I see her every single day uh, wake up in the morning and support his dreams, right? And she did this even when we were doing the hot dog cart, but now like they're both dedicated so much to this restaurant. Um, So I I just believe that Mason is able to thrive because of her. Um, And she doesn't like me bringing her up in the interviews and she doesn't like being seen, but I do have to highlight that I've I've witnessed just the sacrifice that not only her, but our entire family has made to support Mm -hmm. him and his ambitions. And I can truly say that Mason is a visionary. I would have never thought that opening up a restaurant in the middle of a pandemic would be uh, fiscally responsible. However, it has been a good investment. um, And I am happy to support and help in any way that I can.
2: I know our listeners are curious because I'm curious. Mason, let's talk about these hot dogs. Uh, First of all, do you have a favorite kind?
3: favorite kind of hot dog would be the Firestorm. i love me some chopped chicken.
2: <laughs> well, take our this through this. It's called the Firestorm.
3: Yes, it has chopped chicken and buffalo sauce.
2: On the hot dog.
3: It's a very good, yes, it's on the hot dog. But you can eat, have it on different hot dogs, like on our vegan dog, mm-hmm. if you want.
2: Uh, Okay. I like that. What else you got for me? Because I'm making my list for my Closer Look team.
3: We have the Donatello dog. That is a pizza dog. We have pepperoni sauce with Parmesan cheese and pepperonis. that are really good. We also have the Venus flytrap with the onions, tomatoes, and salad, and jalapenos, and
2: chili. Mary Pat, do you have a favorite of the Mason's Super Hot Dogs line?
5: Yes, I have two. So my favorite of all would have to be the Wonder Dog, which would be a quarter pound hot dog that has baked beans on it and homemade coleslaw. Um, I also love, if I was going with a vegan option, if I was going with a vegan option, I would get what we call the Mad Mango. Um, And the Mad Mango is seasonal. Um, But with the Mad Mango, it's our vegan hot dog. Now, what's special about Mason Super Dogs is um, about a year ago, Mason was awarded um, PETA's top five hot dogs um, in the entire country. Mm -hmm. And um, it was because of the Mad Mango that he even made that list. And on that hot dog is a vegan hot dog, no soy or anything like that. Um, And it's a vegan hot dog made of veggies. And he puts Um, lettuce. He puts mangoes, and he has this special like sweet chili salsa that he puts on top with jalapeno peppers. So Mm. it's like a mix between sweet and spicy, and it's so,
2: so good. Wow. Do you all cater events as well?
3: Yes, we do have a catering service, and that is run by my aunt and my other friends.
2: So you have family and friends involved in Mason's Super Dogs.
3: Yes, we do. We're trying to build generational wealth so we can help out our community.
2: Building generational wealth. That sounds pretty good to me. Let me ask you this, Mason. So far, you've talked about how much fun it is. So, Mason, let's talk about some of the challenges in running a business. What have you learned?
3: I have learned to, to keep it going. Don't worry about what people have said online. Keep working and work as hard as possible.
2: Mary Pat, what's the support been like from the family uh, for Mason and his dream? And how do y'all help keep him motivated? Because he just talked about there are some some challenging days, and he says he's learned to maybe ignore some of that. But he, he is still 14.
5: Yeah, so um, making sure that he still has a normal life. um, And also health, like we're taking our health into our own hands. Mason enjoys making us eat new hot dogs. Um, This Thanksgiving, he tried some new like Thanksgiving hot dogs. So you can imagine your cranberry sauce on a hot dog is a lot. Um, And so one, just making sure that like we are taking care of ourselves health wise. Um, Mason has a trainer now and he's working out three times a week to kind of get himself together and myself too, you know, so taking care of ourselves mentally and physically is extremely important. Um, But then also making sure that he's just grounded. Like right now, he is a business owner, right? And and there are times where, you know, you wonder if a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old, I'm sorry, can really run a business. He does. But we still want to make sure that he is 14. So, you know, he gets to play his PlayStation, you know, when he goes home. He gets to hang out with his friends on Monday and Sunday when we're closed. Um, and we do close at 6 p.m. because he still has homework. Um, and as soon as we open um, by 11 o'clock, between 7 And 11, he's been doing his schoolwork. Mm -hmm. So uh, we try to ensure that he has a healthy balance. Um, Sometimes it is a struggle, but we try to stay on a a, a clear schedule uh, to make sure that the business and our personal lives are, you know, the best of which they can be in balance.
2: So Mason and Mary Pat, tell me how the new store in Stonecrest, Georgia, how's it going? And and are you able to serve people for takeout and we're still in a pandemic so can folks come in and sit down or
3: well right now since it's cold we have not put out our tables and chairs and on a summer day you can come you can sit down you can and you can eat your hot dog here but when it gets cold or it's rainy we don't really put our chairs out and we are trying to do uber eats And I'm pretty sure that's going to be fun.
5: Yeah, fun as in busy. But um, (laughs) also, with our store in general, no one can sit inside. Mm -hmm. Um, So when Mason was mentioning, you know, setting our chairs out, people are able to sit out on the patio, and those tables are socially distanced. Um, And, you know, on a good day, or even when it's hot outside, people do come, they grab their food, they go to their cars. Now we're making it a little simple where we'll have a staff member run your order out to you after you've come ordered and paid. So we're 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 learning each and every day. I want to say that we're going into our second month. We opened up uh, October the fourteenth, no October seventeenth. Um, so December seventeenth will be our third month, uh, and it has been a our second month. I don't know anymore. The days are starting to just co- collide and combine um but uh, i'll tell you it, it has been a learning experience some days we may have 40 people in a line some days we might have two but that's all about your business right like trying to figure out how to retain customers working on our marketing um ensuring that we're supporting the community who's investing so much into us and what that looks like so every day is really a learning experience
2: so mason as we wrap up what is your vision for your business,
3: for uh, Mason Superdogs to be a household name and for it to be everywhere, e- even international.
2: All right, I'm curious, have you had companies try to partner with you or, or want to give you some funding if you come under them? Have y'all had that happen?
3: Yes, we've had a lot of offers trying to buy out Mason Superdogs. But as I've said, we are trying to build generational wealth and we and we have turned them all down.
2: Mary Pat, what do you make of that? Folks want to come in and buy out Mason superdogs. Well, <laughs> I tell you, capitalism is fun, isn't it?
5: <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. Um, but you know, Mason's been very, very like this is his baby. This is something that he's worked extremely hard for. Um, so I don't think that he wants to give this up anytime soon um he's been talking about potentially expanding into a second location um so i mean this is his baby and we're just here to support him um now as the investor <laughs> i would love the money but uh this is i mean we're just here for the long run
2: i have to ask you, you don't have to mention the the entity that wanted to buy you all out but how much money did they offer
5: um, we really never got a chance to talk about the money. Um, however, there have been several people who have, um, who I know here in in the city and in the state, who own several popular businesses and restaurants, um, who have offered to purchase Mason superdogs. Dogs um, and the concept of Mason Super Dogs in general, saying that they can open up five within a year, um, which is nice, but and the fact that we would not have a say in how things were run or mm. how things work. Wow. So, I, I mean, after hearing some of those authors, it, it just kind of turned this off a little bit. Um, Cause even when you think about things like shark tank, which really got Mason his start at uh, Morehouse college, you know, people who developed the concept uh, still had a say in how the business would run and still had um, their hands in it at least. So I wasn't really interested in anything that those people had to offer.
2: Wow. Well and neither
5: was Mason or my family.
2: <laughs> so y'all taking submissions for any ideas for a new hot dog to add to the menu? Because I have one.
3: Yes, we have a contest going on that on our website, you submit your recipe. And by the end of the year, we will choose one recipe and you'll win one free meal every month. And your hot dog will go on our new menu. And
5: it will. And you all would get to choose the name of the hot dog or name the hot dog after themselves.
2: Now, so, Mason uh, and Mary Pat, I, if I win, I, I want something more than just a free meal a month. What else y'all got?
5: <laughs> I mean, it would be like a month or a year. We're still a small business, so we can't like offer a lot <laughs> right now.
0: Because
5: we're going into like our second or third month. But hopefully as we grow, we'll be able to do more.
2: I had an idea for like the Rose Scott Superdog, but I will, I will go online and I will follow the instructions and there's no pressure to choose my submission. I'm just saying. Okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> Mary Pat Hector and Mason. Thank you both for taking the time. Mason, best of luck to you and your desires for Mason's super dogs. Best of luck to both of you and continued success. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR, I'm Rose Scott.
1: Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, Each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen at WABE.org or wherever you find your podcasts.
4: Hey, y'all. I'm Mark Kendall. And I'm David Perdue. And we're the hosts of What's Good Atlanta, the new weekly comedy podcast from WABE. On What's Good Atlanta, we run down uplifting and unusual headlines from the universe known as Atlanta. And while we may not be journalists, we are comedians.
1: And we'll be breaking down news and breaking down the stories that make you smile. We're just trying to see what's good, Atlanta. Episodes drop Fridays at WABE.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I get mine from
2: a guy named Craig.
0: Shout out to Craig. Mm
3: -hmm. W A B E. (laughs)